The idea of the panel is that we want to talk about, we're into roughly, music services are roughly 18 years old this year. They're legal, I think. I think they're, they can at least drink low beer in, in uh, Ohio. Um, how do we get to the next step? How do we start doing creative stuff? How do we get beyond? We have real success with things like Spotify. We have real success with, you know, we had success with iTunes. We have success with YouTube. We have all these successful services, but there's so much more out there we can do. Uh, so the idea of the panel, and I'm going to throw it to Daryl to start it out. How do we take it to the next, how do we take it to 11, so to speak? So, Daryl, your thoughts on, you've been, you've been through... Literally, we met almost 16 years ago. Yeah. And you've watched yeah. this evolve. How, does, how do we make it more interesting for everybody out there? Well, I'm so glad I live in Canada. Uh, anyway, uh, so I don't have to... Uh, well, I miss Rob Ford. We're, we're building a southern wall to keep the immigrants out. But uh, I think... Okay, let's get there. Okay. I think that... Uh, the big thing is, and we've been saying this for so many years, is making licensing easier, allowing experimentation, and allowing uh, a lot of new services and new different ways that content can be used to actually get out there and and, and attempt that. Uh, and we, you know, we talked about it a lot leading up to this that you know it, it can still take way too long for services to get licensed and and there's still the issue of every time something is a little bit different it it's a very complex process to get uh, get a license done and as services get more and more more complex and more complete there are many many more deals that need to be done whether it's uh, getting the master rights the publishing rights the lyric rights, the rights in all the different territories that you want want to launch. Use of celebrity. The performance rights, yeah. Seriously. The name and likeness rights, yeah. uh, and that, and there are so many different components and so many different things that need to be negotiated that it's a very long and hard and expensive process. And we, as an industry, need to we'll try to lubricate that as much as we can. Uh, and and make it simplified and allow people to do new things. Like for us, we're uh, we have deals with somewhere in the neighborhood of four thousand publishers uh, at this point, and we're. So I should have said Daryl is the co-founder and CEO of Lyric Find, which is arguably the largest lyric service, legal licensed lyric service in the world. So he's fought the battles. <laughs> But we're, we're launching uh, a number of different new services over the next little while, and we've had to go back to every single one of those publishers to change those rights and add in other, other things. And you know, we've been doing it for 12 years now, so it's, uh, we've gotten good at it, at least, and, and we can do it fairly quickly. But for anyone else that's starting, trying to do something new, having to go to all those places and do all those those deals is so time-consuming that it, it kills the service before it, it gets off the ground. Uh, you know. So, Jeremy, you're sitting. Jeremy, you are? So, I, I work at Warner Music Group. I, uh, I run business legal affairs for WIA and ADA. WIA is sort of a shared services division, um, and ADA is for independent distribution. And so, we sit up here saying it should be easier, it should go quicker, you know, whatever. How many hours can you stay later at night, and do you have weekends off? I mean, weekends available. I mean, talk about deal flow. How many deals right now? Within, I mean, not a real number, but I mean, an aggregate number of deals. Do you have in the pipeline right now? Um, you know, so first of all, you have to talk about well, what are we talking about? Recorded music? Or are we talking publishing? Or recorded music for a moment. How many recorded record music deal? How many people are knocking at the door right now to do the next big deal, or to do just do the next the next small deal? Yeah, so we have probably around 120 um, relationships in place in the U.S. So that's existing partners. Um, for partners knocking on the door in any given year, um, it could range probably into the hundreds, um, and that comes sometimes through our labels. Um, to digital marketing teams. Sometimes that comes through the center. Sometimes they're recommended um, by other companies. So it's a, it's a large number of services. And those are just the ones who make it through the door to us to engage in those conversations. So how do you manage that deal flow? How do you prioritize 
I mean, I know it's, it's probably a, a bunch of different ways, but I mean, if I've got a great idea, but I'm a startup and I live in Berkeley and in, in a dorm with two other guys and I'm starting something up, how do I, how do I get your attention? Yeah, well, so let's assume they've come in the door already, right? Um, and one of the ways that um, we try to help and engage with the community is to understand where they are in their process because a lot of companies are not quite actually ready to start talking about what it means to enter into a deal. So, for example, one of the ways we've tried to engage in the community is I think there's a lot of people out there who need advice and need advisors. So, for example, we put in place something called the Stanford program, which is a way for individuals to, quote, major in music, engage with artists, engage with record executives, and have opportunities to find employment or find ways to get deals done with our company. And I think there ne there's a real need to try to put people into situations where they can have advisors who can help them just understand the landscape of music, what music licensing is, where do rights sit, and if they can understand the fragmented nature of rights, I think that helps go a long way to understanding how to better engage the music industry. So if you're going to say to somebody, let's say they don't have an advisor, they haven't been able to get into one of those programs, if you were going to say there are three things that you have to be prepared with when you walk in the door, I mean, I imagine business model would be one of them. What's the, re what's the revenue model? What are the mistakes that you've seen made that basically, you know, slow things down? Yeah, so if you put business model aside, um, which surprisingly happens a lot, that people come in without uh, a business model, I think the second thing is, is how is their scale, right? What is your, not how are you at scale now, but how do you get to some sort of scale? And um, more importantly, how is what you're doing sort of unique in the marketplace? Um, and how are you doing something that's different than something that already exists? Um, and those are three places where a lot of times people come knocking on the door and they're not ready to have those conversations. So what we do try to do is try to make them understand our perspective of why we think they need to better understand that. And then second, try to put them in a position where they can have conversations with others to help educate them um, and help them to better understand the landscape and how to approach it. Um, I have a network myself of a dozen people that I typically will recommend people go talk to. Um, a lot of them doesn't involve paying any money. It's just people who've always been willing to engage and have conversations. Um, so that's been a big way of how we try to engage that community and try to help people who aren't quite ready to have a larger conversation with us. Jacqueline, uh, talk about what you do and then I have a couple questions for you. Um, well, I mostly work with musicians. Uh, so I'm on the music musician side of the business. Uh, we work with a lot of legacy acts um, some of the local bands that you guys might know, the Grateful Dead, Huey Lewis, Metallica, the Tupac Estate. So I'm here from that perspective. So wh what are the points that you go through when you're figuring out how you want to get involved in a deal? And what have you done in the last 18 months that sort of gets outside the box a little bit? Yeah, well, I guess what we're most excited about right now are some of the 360 relationships, not just um, with digital distribution of music, but sort of everything that touches music. So we were talking about um, health earlier, which you might want to talk about in a minute. Um, all the kinds of creative partnerships we have, uh, the Grateful Dead have an amazing partnership with Warner Brothers and Rhino, and it's not just for music distribution, it's also... Um, we're really excited about them doing brand licensing with us. Uh, and the kinds of things that excite me right now are, um, you know, like Mickey Hart is doing uh, a VR project with Adam Ghazali, who's a neuroscientist at UCSF. And they're trying to map the neuropathways in the brain using rhythm. So basically creating a, a rhythm game to help reverse cognitive dysfunction. So to me, that's really exciting. I would love to hear more people coming to us looking for musicians to work with projects like that that touch technology. And is revenue important at that part, at that point, or is it about changing people's lives? Um, well, or the great, both? you know, the great thing about working at the Grateful that I feel so lucky to work with them because they're all brilliant and amazing. But what they have always done with their business model is say, if we're having fun, everything else will follow. So if we're having fun. I, in my experience with them and with some other musicians, everything else does follow. So, 
yeah, money is important, but that's not what leads. William, I, hate, I always hate this phrase. As we said in the warm-up discussion, I hate that, um, you were talking about this proposition that maybe the way to make it easier is just turn music into a utility and anybody can use it. Do you want to yeah. elaborate on that? You also sure. said that you didn't necessarily favor it, but let's yeah. put it out it's there a, for discussion. An interesting concept. Let me ask, first of all, how many of you have startup uh, entities? or How many of you... And how many of them are primarily focused on music? What about ones that are not primarily music, but music is a part of it? Okay, some. So this, so it, it seems like a broken system to some of you who have tried to go out and license. Um, you, getting the masters is relatively easy. And that's because it is a broken system? Okay, seems <laughs> like it is. It seems like it is because it is. Um, sometimes there are licenses that get done. To, to, for some of these apps. So one of the concepts um, floating around is one that from Terry Fisher, who's a law professor at Harvard and wrote a book that's been largely ignored uh, called Promises to Keep about 10 years ago. And, his, and I'm not advocating it. I just think it's great for discussion and love to get people's reaction to it is uh, music should be like water, okay? It's basically just uh, use as much as you want. You can use it. There's no licensing involved. You just turn the spigot on if you want to use it for your film, if you want to make an app, whatever, and then uh, the government keeps track of everything, and the taxpayer pays for everything. So, How many actually, of you like that idea? One person... One hand went up, went up and they started to club him, and his hand went down. Okay. So, so we got one person, so... So the, Not the, a lot of people... I mean, how do you think... Do people think music's overvalued or undervalued? Overvalued. Well, I would Undervalued. Wanna... Yay. Okay, good. So 18 years ago, you, you mentioned, Ted, that that was when the um, streaming started kicking in. And 18 mm -hmm. years ago is also when this, this conference started 18 years ago. And it also, isn't this the 18th year? No, it's, it's, it's the 18th. Okay. Month. So in 1999 or so, is supposed to have been the height of the recorded music industry. And it depends on what source you look at for how high that height was. I've looked at um, estimates of somewhere just south of $30 billion in sort of trade revenue for worldwide from recorded music. We're about half that right now. And it seems to me that the streaming uh, method is moving in the right direction now, but it's got an awful lot of ground to make up if you have even $100 million uh, I hope I'm not hijacking this conversation. No, this no, not at all. If you have Keep 100 going, million you. people I'm passing you right now, how many million? Ahead. We have like 60 million people subscribing to streams. Um, if you have 100 million paying $10 a month, you've got about $12 billion in revenue. Um, I think it's um, there are a lot of ideas about how to do better than that. Um, to get well, back to partying like it was 1999 and break okay, up Okay, but if Patron. you look at what's happened with Amazon in the past week, you have Amazon launching a their 9.99 service, which is good, but they also have a 3.99 service that's available on the Echo Alexis platform only. I would believe the 3.99, eventually you're going to get tired of listening to it just on your dot or just in your Alexa. You're going to want to listen to it somewhere else. So that seems to be a teaser to get you into it, but I don't believe, having been on both sides of the table, having worked at EMI and now working for people who are trying to make deals, I don't think the answer is cutting the price of music in half. I don't, I, I think that people are willing to pay for services that have value, and I think we're seeing that. So but Amazon it's a isn't cutting business. the price the price in half, they're, they're offering a limited functionality for a exactly product, so i'm saying that so. at least creates a thing of well i like this but i can have a better experience if i go to the if i go to the better service it's a yeah. good introduction thing it's not reducing the value of music it's getting people to put their toe in the water yeah it's the gateway drug well, yeah and it's no different than when they used to have the 499 service for pcs only to go back in history a little bit mm -hmm. so it's a way to encourage an upsell i mean it's no different than the you know, 99 cents for three months. So all of these are ways to experiment, to get people engaged, get them into the platform. And once they're in, the, the idea is that they're going to want to continue to stay in. I mean, I've been paying for music before I ever joined the music industry. I mean, I uh, was on Rhapsody when they first started, and I've always been 
a big fan of, wow, you can give me unlimited music on this device. Well, I'll, I'll take that. And um, so all these are just ways to try to encourage people to engage with and pay for music. So there's a little bit of experimentation going on again in that space. How do, what is the state of ad supported at this point in terms of are we moving away from it? Are we marginalizing it? Are we still embracing it? Has it been, has it worked? I mean, and I'm not, again, I promised him I'm not going to get him in any trouble. I don't want to get a phone call saying I need a job. But, um, is, I mean, ad supported, there's two things that I think happened. One, ad supported was supposed to get people to convert because they hated the ads. Mm. Some people just mentally turned them off. The other one was when Pandora came along at the beginning. Who want, It's great that you can create a you know, a uh, 21 pilot station, but at a certain point you're going to hear a certain song by one of those artists. And I think the surprise for the music industry was for a vast majority of the people out there, Pandora was good enough. Mm -hmm. And there was no overwhelming need to move to on demand or move to something where I could build playlists. Even they are going there now. So the, the question is, as you've looked at these models over the last five, going over the last five years, you know, is there a takeaway that you can share, or would you like a shot of tequila? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll answer it slightly differently, which is I think there's, you know, the ad revenue is shifting um, dramatically. For anyone paying attention, it's moving from TV into the online and digital space. And um, the real question is, is not, you know, what are we doing with YouTube or what are we doing with ad support models? The question is how do we tap into those revenue, you know, those monies in a bigger way on behalf of artists? And that's where you start to see some of the opportunities starting to become more developed around branded opportunities with artists. Um, there's a lot of content creation um, companies out there that also try to connect brands with artists and other creators of that nature. So I think you're starting to see other opportunities besides just some of the the ad-supported services you've seen um, so far, and just uh, more opportunities for artists, more opportunities for, uh, to be honest, for companies to enter that space and try to bridge that gap between the content, the artists, um, and then the ad revenues who want to attach themselves to it. So I think there's a real opportunity there right now, and we're going to see a lot of growth over the next couple of years. I mean, without picking favorites per se, but what are some of the services over the last two, three years that have come into play that you're a fan of that you're like hey this worked we got that we got them into the marketplace i'm not asking you to pick a favorite but you just yeah but just pick a favorite but just pick a favorite <laughs> i have a favorite sure go ahead well you know we love our partnership with sirius xm mm -hmm. uh, if, you know that's been a great partnership for us uh, the grateful dead channel uh, it generates a lot of money we get paid through sound exchange and it's been a wonderful partnership cool yeah so I I'm still not off the hook, though. Yeah, yeah, no, I, <laughs> you know, I'm, no, it's fine. I'll actually, I'll give you two answers. One of the ones we talked about in our, our pregame warm up. Um, so one is I'm very excited about musically. Um, we were the the first, um, at least, major record company to sign a deal with them, and I think that's a really exciting um, partnership for us and the opportunity. How many people are, are you? Familiar? If you're not familiar, raise your hand. What is? Give them a little more background. Yeah, Musical.ly is an ability for people to sort of engage with the music they love and create videos around it and share. Um, there's a, a very strong social element to it. I, if you haven't used it yet, I highly recommend checking it out. It's really interesting. Um, even if you're not going to want to be a user, it's very interesting for anyone who wants to do their own company in this space. Um, the other one that I feel worth mentioning, seeing how many people raise their hand about doing startups in the music space is there's a there's a new accelerator from Techstars. It's a music accelerator um, that Bob Moz, um, who's been around for a long time, used to be at Topspin and at Twitter. So that, I believe they're accepting applications now. Um, and it's the very diverse um, types of companies they're looking for. It's, uh, it's not just ones you want to do the new streaming service. Uh, they're looking into the 360 space, whether that's merch, are reimagining fan subscription clubs. So, you know, at least from us, from a, a major record company, that's one of the ways that we're trying to engage the community. And I find it interesting because it taps into one of the things I talked about earlier, which is it's both about, you know, offering money, but also offering opportunities, whether that's advisors or to connect you with other companies that are in a similar vertical, trying to do something similar or complementary. So that one to me is very exciting what, the, what they're doing there. It's called Tech Stars. It's all one word. 
Vincent, so why don't you talk a little bit about what you do and how do you how are you helping to make music more relevant? Yes, yeah, so I'm I'm um, working at Musimap, which is a cognitive technologies company. So it's uh, highly personalized content re recommendation, uh, thanks to emotion, relation, and uh, and influences. Um, I think to reflect on what was said, you know, for me, music has a very high perceived value, but there is a gap there between this perceived value and what, what people are, are, are all right to pay for it. And I see that uh, the music market is relatively small. It's $15 billion. And there are possibilities to open that up and to grow these markets. And I'm very interested in um, music, the music industry connecting with other larger markets, so uh, search engines, AI, uh, um, uh, advertisement, and different streams of revenue to, to create new markets. So for example, I invested in a company called Mod Devices that creates an uh, platform for musicians and developers to create plugins for any types of instruments. That's interesting for me because you have branding, you have another perspective on, on things that you, you can grow the market. Another inv investment I made is also film music investment. How can you uh, solve a problem in the film industry with music and with an interesting, innovative business model? So I think there is a lot of room for new business models in this space and that technology can, you can, can help us uh, grow this market uh, um, to, a, to a higher level and to make it um, healthy again. Okay. Now this we're turning it into a revival meeting now. It's going to be more evangelical. Um, anybody want to talk about anybody but Mark? Want to, no, I'm kidding. Mark, what do you want to talk about? Go ahead. I remember when Time Warner merged with AOL, and the idea was synergy, right? And you were watching publicly the demise of all sorts of parts of your organization. I was wondering if you ever thought about cross-licensing with your sister companies and getting some synergy with. I don't know, Time Magazine or uh, this Warner Cable. I mean, it just seems like there's a whole lot of things that could be done that they never sold get done. They sold cable. Well, we're, we're not, yeah, we're not associated with Time Warner anymore. We were spun off about a decade ago. Right, and so maybe <laughs> so you could make I, some money from it. I don't know. I, no, you don't want. To. Well, to, to achieve well, they, what? They, they Kevin sell, they sell, they, they're not. They're not. They make movies. They make TV. They're yeah. not connected anymore. Yeah, we're not. Connected. Warner Record, Warner Music Group is totally separate. I know. I know. I'm, I'm just sure saying. Jeremy I'm, would happily. We're trying to get you out of this easily if, if they wanted. I just Does anybody? Make money. Okay. The question I wanted to ask is: Anybody want to talk about their current startup, no matter what stage they're in, and, and may possibly some of the difficulties they're running into? Okay. Go over. Okay, we'll get you a mic over here. And maybe we can do a mini tech stars here and give you a little bit of advice. Hey guys, my name is Ryan Lee. I don't know if you guys were here in the elevator pitch, but I got the first one. And it was only a minute, but um, I have an idea for a new music program that I would like to create. And I really don't really want all the rights, but I need help starting this thing off. I just want to see it happen. I, I came up from a problem. I wanted to learn more instruments, okay? And I didn't have the money to invest in all these instruments. And I found the same kind of problem in the fitness arena. So if you wanted to go work out, you have to go buy a, a treadmill, a bicycle, weights. you know. And I find the same thing in music. You have to go buy a bass, a guitar, drums. And then I have to get an instructor for each one of these things. And I want to bridge that gap. I would like to create a place where we can put them all in one place and use technology to instruct people. I have a business plan put together about 20, 27 pages currently. I have three-year financial projections going on. Um, I have three potential locations in uh, Marin and Sonoma County. Um, and I'd like help getting it started and a um, little bit more to business development. I have an attorney that I'm working with in Sonoma County who's about to help me with some intellectual property stuff. But um, that's kind of what I'm going. So picture, basically picture a fitness gym. Replace your fitness equipment with musical equipment. Headphones, iPad instruction stations. Uh, it would allow collaboration. It would allow students to come in and record. It would, people could stop in and not even have to bring any instruments in. They could stop in before work and practice their guitar. Record what they just learned. Move over to the drums. Practice the drums. Learn, record it. You could have, now when network speeds increase, you could have that nationwide. You could have a whole bands rehearsing together via these the facilities. Granted, we're going for a lot of people are going software and apps and this and that. This is a facility, okay. but we yeah. just hit the fiftieth floor. Thoughts? <laughs> Short. It's fiftieth ele elevator pitch. We yeah, right. Okay. Thoughts from anybody? 
Viable, not viable? That's Who likes the idea? I, I like the idea. I think that's a fun idea. Have you talked to the guys that bought the plant over in Sausalito? They're doing a wellness, a wellness center in the old record studio space. Uh, no, I haven't talked to them yet, but that's a great... I actually recorded at the plant in fourth grade for the esteem team, and we did, we did a record for that. Um, I grew up right around the corner from James, um, from Metallica. and uh, Yeah, so I'm, I'm local, and I would like to maybe connect with you after and get some more ideas. Yeah. Cool. Anybody else want to talk about what they're working on and maybe some of the issues they're working on? You over there. Elaborate. License music and color. Go ahead. So basically, colorized sheet music and colorized tablature. So you still oh, okay. have the same sheet music, okay. and you still have tablature, but you put you know a circle of color behind it, which tells you the note instantly, because every note has a one singular color that maps to it. Uh, who do I go to first the, to try and make this? You know, to, who who would you? You need to, you need to talk to the publishers. The publishers own own the rights for sheet music and notation and all of that. So you can either have direct conversations like there. You, you should likely speak to a few of them directly just to get a feel for what their thoughts are, are on it. But then the easiest way to go about licensing that is to go through an organization like HFA uh, or others that can reach out to all the publishers on your behalf. Uh, and you can uh, do, a, do an opt-in deal through, through them. Or if you're looking at only working with a limited catalog, if, you, if you're targeting you know a hundred songs or something like that then it, it may be more efficient to license that directly depending on the size of the catalog that you're looking for sure, yeah, i guess that's basically what i was trying to find out is if you guys would would recommend going to a small kind of very a small segment with just a couple hundred songs first or trying to accomplish something bigger. it depends what you what what you want for the service will dictate that but uh if uh if you want to do a proof of concept uh and Try it out with a few songs. Just go to one of the publishers directly uh, and talk to them and uh, and do a direct license with them for that to to get a get a minimum viable product out and and test it out. And then when you want to expand into having a very large catalog, then I would go through HFA or something, okay, well, Howard, something like that. Okay, Howard, go ahead. Question: Do we with the apparent growth? I don't need a the apparent growth of streaming as a revenue for artists, do the esteemed panelists feel that we're seeing the end of direct revenues from consumer to artists directly other than their live performances? No. And I, I, think, no. I think we're seeing the opening up of a whole bunch of new direct revenue opportunities. Mm -hmm. Anything from, you know, you look at, there are platforms that are selling experiences like a backstage meet and greet with the band at a concert or even just like a Skype call with a with the band or the other ways there where artists are connecting directly over through social media. I think that there, there's just way more opportunities for the direct. Daryl, the reason why I ask that is I grew up in an era where someone made a great song and people wanted that song and then or they wanted that album, whether it was Dark Side of the Moon or it was you know, the latest Grateful Dead record. And it seems that the consumer experience no longer is geared towards that. Last year, we were having this conversation in the same room around the same time. And the question I asked is, they asked, it was almost an hour into it. And I said, is anyone talking about whether an artist is writing a good song or putting something out that's really changing the world? Yeah. And so, you know, my little pitch is that, you know, I'm working well, on a startup for a company I mean called Watch My Bit that's direct consumer experience from the, uh, either our website or from a white label solution where I have music in a video format, somebody buys it, and the next day they're paid for it. Daily pays, splits done all through blockchain technology, whether there's 10 people in the band or whether there's artists, whether there's money that had to be borrowed from someone's mother-in-law, they're directly paid every day. And if it gets to a point where the investors are paid off, they drop off the blockchain and the splits are reconfigured on, on a daily basis. So the idea of actually the audience being directly supporting artists from their pre-recorded work, whether it's in a video form or an audio form, is something that I hope has a chance in the future, other than being able to have dinner with ACDC 
for $10,000 as a revenue stream. How many artists do you have on your... Not enough yet. We're just, are they unknown artists primarily? Yes. Well, we also we have some films. It's so not the, just music, the, it's me. Um, yeah, because I so, think you raise an interesting point that others might benefit from, which is that we're... If you have an app, uh, you're, you're a startup and you want to use music, you can, you, everyone wants to use top 40 well-known pop music uh, as opposed to unknown music. And there is a flourishing business of library music companies that have been popping up um, in the LA area and all over. And some of, they offer a solution if you're on, if it's a broken system in terms of getting all of your fractured licensing together, there are many alternatives with unknown music. Some of, many of these companies provide very high quality music, by the way, it's just not, you know, there was an article in Wired magazine that talked about how, uh, Listening to to well-known music does create a dopamine uh, uh, reaction in your brain. You're not going to get that from unknown music. However, you're going to get high-quality music. You're also going to keep musicians um, employed. Um, I, you know, I'm on the board of overseers at the New England Conservatory, and a lot of the uh, fine musicians who come out of there are not able to get orchestra jobs, and many of them become entrepreneurs. Um, so it is, it, it, and or do other kinds of things with music. So it is. So unknown music is an option for some of you that have startups, and some of that music is really terrific. It's just not going to give you that dopamine rush that's keeping the major labels and major publishers in business um, from the hit music. See, that, that brings up an interesting point. You, you, the beauty of playlists now across all market segments is when your music is mixed in with something that people know. They're coming off of what he's talking about, that you have this whatever. And there's almost an acceptance level to hear something you've never heard before. If I'm, I would respectfully, and we've known each other a long time, if I'm hearing 15 things in a row that I've never heard and there's no recommendation that this is even stuff that I might possibly like, it's going to be a, a barrier to acceptance. I may end up liking half of it. I'm not saying I would. The concept, your point is well taken for unknown artists, but the concept isn't limited to unknown artists. It's a content creator or a Warner Brothers. Anybody who's an aggregator of content has the ability to set the price per listen or per, from nine cents to whatever they choose to be. It could be $39.99 if it's an unveiled concert that the dead did in one year that nothing was ever recorded on it. I so, two other plays that's doing almost the identical thing. Okay. It's not unique. You have a, doing yeah. well, thanks for the put down. Okay. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> You two are two of my favorite people, too. Can we have a grudge match here out front? Good. Yes, ma'am. The people on the... I'm a music publisher, so it's a little sad to me to hear the grumbling, although I understand why you're grumbling about how hard it is to clear publishing. Um, I wanted to know the people... Why do you the, think you're not difficult? I'm personally not difficult. Okay. Um, so who wants to do a publishing deal I, with her right now? <laughs> who do you represent? Uh, we represent the band Boston, Harry Belafonte. We have a 70s R&B catalog that's sampled a lot in hip-hop and rap songs. Mm -hmm. We have two very hot up-and-coming Broadway writers. Um, a lot of different things. But each cool. person is special in their own particular genre. Mm -hmm. um, what I wanted to know is that people on the panel that are advising startups and dealing with the licensing, do you ever recommend clearance people? I mean, well-known clearance people who have the relationships already with music publishing people and can help these companies devise a business plan to get the permission that would work. Well, well that's, that's as of, like uh, HFA that yeah. we're as of As of 8 o'clock this morning, I have a client who had an idea of something else they wanted to do. I, don't I called up a friend of mine who pro you probably know, but I won't say who it is, and said, I need to clear 320 songs. Could I do it? Probably. Do I want to? No, because this guy can do it in a week what would take me a month to do. Right. I don't really mean HFA. And he has the relationship. I, so I, mean, I went to an expert. Yeah. Whitney, really quick. In, 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 and Whitney can talk loud because he's had drinks. Ah. ah arg. What I would say is, is that I don't think that any particular publisher... Oh, sorry. They want to record. They're, they're, they're recording this for posterity. I don't think it's that any particular publisher is difficult. I mean, yeah, there's difficult ones and they're not difficult ones. I think that what people's complaint is about the publishing situation is that the, the layers of complexity in publishing to, to clear like a really big catalog, you know, I mean, if you're talking about you want to start Rhapsody, you want to start Mog, you want to start an on-demand service, right. it's astoundingly complicated yeah. because it's not just HFA. It's HFA 
it's ASCAP, it's BMI, it's uh, uh, CSAC, it's GMR, and then you have to deal with the publishers, the, the major publishers likely separately, they probably won't want to do through HFA, and then you got to do all the HFA, I mean the non-HFA affiliates, right. and that's hundreds of publishers too. So yeah. you've been so doing this a long time. just how for the U.S. You, how, <laughs> with still delivering value back to the copyright holders, to the songwriters, to the, to the master users, what would be a more, other than saying it's water and everybody pays the same thing, what's a midpoint that keeps well, the value of that, music? Ted, because, you know, what? Not so, I'm glad you asked that because, uh, because I haven't thought about that. And I was comparing this to, um, so I've spent years licensing a particular service. You've been doing service. this, I mean, Whitney's, this is what Whitney Broussard, he's been doing one, this a long time. One particular service in the U.S. I spent years licensing and I'm still licensing because everything comes up for renewal. So mm. it never really ends. No, it's but, painting the it's painting the Golden Gate Bridge. But then, yeah, exactly, exactly. And then, but you know, uh, I had the opportunity also to license the same service in Canada. Yeah. In Canada, oh my God, you guys have it done. You have it done so well. Uh, kudos, kudos. I mean, I that literally. But they're Canadian. If yep. I were, if I, if I was a music attorney doing digital clearances in Canada, I could not make a living because <laughs> because it's wow, so easy. I mean, you go, there's like journalists. There's a sound. No, bike. really, like you know, there's CSI, which is a joint venture between CMRA and Sodrac for the uh, for mechanical rights, and then there's SoCan for the public performance rights for uh, the songs. There's ReSound for the uh, public performance rights for the. Okay, masters. then why can't Pandora launch in Canada? I have no idea. You have to talk to Pandora about that. But, but, no, but there, there's if it's that great easy. questions. Well, my point is, is that for Pandora. I can license Canada in about, I think it's uh, six deals or so. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. the whole the whole scope of everything. Okay. And, and to license anything uh, in America is, you know, is literally dozens and dozens and dozens of deals. And I'm just saying, you know, I'm not saying that Canada necessarily is perfect, but. Certainly, if you, there's no, a it's perfect. Okay, you're right. <laughs> Listen, we, yeah. I would we're, say it is perfect, with the exception of Cleveland and Toronto. <laughs> okay, good. We're so, very modest too. The, right. the, so I'm, I'm just saying no, that there are ways to do this in a very simple way. I mean, you know. And, okay, and, so how would you streamline it? Is there and still maintain the value though? And the idea is not to say, you know, let's just turn it into water and you just whatever you. I don't think the rates in Canada are low. I think that the rates in Canada are, you know. They seem about right. Maybe in some respects they're a little bit higher than the U.S. rates because yep. they're set by they're set as tariffs by the government, and there's a government procedure that goes through things. And you know the government tends to come out a little bit more on the side of copyright owners than the side of music users. I guess so. I, I, we get it. It's very fragmented in the U.S. There's no doubt about it. And other than what you're sort of suggesting, which is let's start over from scratch and we could build a better mousetrap, which you know I think there's most people in the industry would agree we would like we don't like it fragmented either. It challenges us also. And so one of the ways, you know, uh, just, just bring it back to people who are trying to engage in this industry and how can they start without doing exactly what you're saying you're doing is can they think in different terms? Can they think about licensing a smaller catalog? Can they, they look at doing a deal with just a, a independent label? Can they just do a deal with a single major and a single, you know, publisher? There's other ways But can of you have a successful it. service doing that? Well, there's the difference between a, you know, a fully launched service that's trying to work with a million subscribers and someone who's trying to test and experiment and have a, a safe space to see whether they can succeed and whether they can build a service that has scale and... But does a subset give you back the feedback you know to find out if what you're doing is successful or was it limited by the size of the sample, you know, the catalog sample that you were able to work with? Yeah, that's a challenging question. I mean, if you were trying to launch a streaming service like a Spotify or an Apple Music, obviously you're going to want and need to have a full catalog from all of the various um, content providers. Um, if you're trying to do something at a different scale, um, I'm sure anyone in this room could insert X what that thing is they're trying to do. I don't think they need to have six million tracks on record to necessarily prove whether that can work or not. Okay. Who's doing something quirky that doesn't need six million tracks? What are you doing that's quirky that doesn't need six million tracks? What do you want to do? And who's blocking you and who do we go after for you? Uh, I'm Doug with the CEO of Watch My Bit. We're a video streaming platform that uses is Bitcoin. Yeah, I just Never mind. There. He's already done oh, he the did? pitch. Okay. Next. Yeah, yeah. Who's up next? <laughs> Over there, really. Already. It's early, yeah. in the, early in the fall season. We're in reruns. All right. Okay. <laughs> Give him the mic over there. 
Thank you very much. But uh, my name's Nate Tepper. I'm with Set the Set. Set the Set lets fans pick the set list for their upcoming concerts. We work with Third Eye Blind, CeeLo Green, Melissa Etheridge. Um, value is that we engage 40% of the audience at every concert. We collect and share a lot of data. And then also we drive ticket sales and merchandise sales. Okay, but that's not that's not what licensing right. That's not licensing rights for me. It's great. I, I love that. I thought we could ask any oh yeah, no, go ahead. Ask any question you want. I'm sorry, it's a free oh, concert. Go ahead. No, no, no ask, ask, ask questions, please. All right, all right. No, go ahead. I have a question for Jeremy. So we yes. work a lot with management. My question is, how can we scale that and work with record labels? And how would you guys be involved in this process? So what you you give consumers the ability to vote on what uh, songs to play at sure why don't you come out up afterwards give me your card and i can help introduce you to someone to speak with. boom i get five percent for yeah. the introduction Deal okay. done. yes sir right there go ahead uh, speaking of uh, dopamine uh, we have dopa stream uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we, we actually do interactive it's xanax music. and music yeah uh, so we do interactive music where uh, people can uh, change the mood uh, as the music plays and this happens in real time so we mix everything from the server side, so none of the stems actually leave uh, the server. Uh, so it happens in real time. We could be actually able to play on the web browser, in the Twitter app, Facebook. So app. compare and contrast what you're doing and what Weave so, is doing. Yes. So uh, the idea is, you know, we could just launch with, uh, say, a hundred, uh, you know, hundred songs, right. popular songs, just like what Guitar Hero did, or you know, right. any of. But the you're other. familiar with Weave. Uh, Weave is similar. Is, 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 is so. I don't mean. I'm, being disrespectful, Weave is a similar approach about changing mood and tempo. Yeah, but this is actually mixing the stems on the fly. Yes. Weave.io, W-E-A-V.io. His previous venture, he came up with this idea for something called Google Maps. Right. Uh, I'll, I'll evaluate uh, that and actually okay. get back to you. Okay. But are you running into any problems? I mean, so you're licensing. I mean, so let's continue. I'm so not yeah, question. Yeah. So, so you're trying to license stems. What are you running into in terms of? Because I would say to you, ten years ago, other than Peter Gabriel and and uh, Trent Reznor, nobody wanted to give you access to stems. I think people are a little less precious about it than they were. Correct. So, uh, incorrect. But let me add one more thing. So we act, so there's also the ability to mix and share the music. So, right. So uh, you know, then the rights. I'm not the rights guy, but. Uh, I'm, I'm just curious, like, you know, how do you go about it? Um, Have you done STEM deals? We did, um, we've done a couple. The one that's coming to mind is Umix, U-MYX. Um, that was, what's his name's name? I know, I'm forgetting his name also. Um, and, uh, you went to EMI at yeah, he was, a, he was a really good guy. Um, so they, they had a go at it. I think, um, I think they had it, they found it challenging. I think they had difficulty, um, explaining the model to people and to consumers and how to sort of work with it. it. It requires someone who has a little bit more expertise, even as they try to bring it to more mass market appeal. Um, in terms of licensing it, um, uh, it, it was, um, gosh, I'm blanking. This was a decade ago. He's a great guy. The yeah, I was doing it. Very, very memorable guy. No, yeah. really. <laughs> oh, thank you for your shirt. So uh, good. He then went to so Ardio. Good. He was at Ardio. He was. I'm yes. Anyway. Anybody know this? Okay, fine. Another shot. I, e EMI, then you mix, then Ardio. No, you mix, then EMI. You mix, then EMI, then Ardio. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Uh, records. Right. <laughs> let me ask. What did you do? I mean, so me, a stems deal. We would still so, do a stems deal. I mean, it's not. It's there. It's. It's it's a standard deal depending on how your model is going to look. So he tried to do the same thing, purchase the right to work with stems and then the ability to then sell them. Mm -hmm. um, and we were able to, I think we cleared a couple hundred songs in the stems to allow consumers. So, you And if they created a remix and they wanted to post it somewhere, were they allowed to post it? And was there, a, was there an ability? I mean, you also had uh, Zaya, which was um, uh, Matt Serletic's thing. And so Zaya, you did a remix, and if the remix was viewed and it got X number, the money was divided up among the original stems holders plus right. the people that created the remix. Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, and I haven't paid a lot of attention. I know Spotify cut a deal with Dubset, and there's mm -hmm. others who are looking into this space around remixes and how to ensure rights holders are paid appropriately. It's, um, uh, I know you it's... Metapop, you got Metapop, too, that Matt, yeah, Metapop, Matt Adele's doing. Yep. There's a couple of people trying to, again, manage the rights. Anyone else want to talk about a licensing issue they had? Maybe we can 
give you some inexpensive advice. Yes, sir. Hold on, he's going to get you a thing because they're going to record you and then send you a recording later. Do you want it in four channel, three? No, go ahead. Sorry. My name is Paul. I have a company called Drop Track. We do uh, email marketing for pre-release music. So our customers' record labels send the music before it's released. A lot of times, uh, you know, it could be a work in progress still uh, out to industry tastemakers. And one area I'm thinking about pivoting into is going direct to fan with the pre-release music or works in progress. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could shed some light on the legal challenges of that. Because it's kind of like stems, but some of the music might not even be signed. You want to go first? I got, I got this great story. I won't say the label, Universal. Um, I had a client years ago that had a platform called Avenue, and they came up with this thing where I could send you an email, and the, in the email was part of the song, and it could be time-based, so it could only play for three days, unlimited plays, or it could be play-based, where it only played three times and then it expired. And I'm doing the deal, and the deal goes along really good, and we get the deal done, and it was amazing how quick it turned out. And I said to the executive at the time, uh, this is great. He goes, yeah, but what about all the infringement for the last six months? And I said, what infringement? He goes, well, you've been up there testing it for six months. I don't think you have a letter from us telling you you could. And I went, you're really kidding, aren't you? And there was a moment, I'm being serious now. I said, I will quit everything I'm doing and move to Washington, D.C., and I will be for the music industry what Jeffrey Wigand was for the tobacco industry. And he goes, ah, never mind, you weren't infringing, don't worry about it. Uh, it's, it's interesting, with the pre-release thing, I get, I, I'm on your list uh, from Lori from Feldman, mm -hmm. and I get pre-release music every week, and I'm very respectful, I don't redistribute or whatever, but it's a dangerous, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky area, not dangerous, but it's a tricky area. Yeah, there's a couple companies do that, and you, you want to do it on behalf of the artists or the labels? Right, so it's a B2B platform right now, and I'm yeah. I would say go to the artist. I, yeah. I rep, our firm represents the Bob Marley estate, and we've um, licensed a remix of, of Is This Love. Um, we were, so I, I was a promoter. I thought it was a good idea to, to do this, and it was a, a, with Spinning Records, a couple of DJs I had never heard of, not that well-known, but it's uh, three and a half months. It's been 35 million um, spins on Spotify and a lot more on Beatport, and it's introducing this music to young kids that might not be have, even know that music. Um, so I would go to the artist, uh, and the artist, if, they're, if their p team is into it, can help you deal per perhaps with the labels and the manager uh, and the publishing. Back there. You, yes. Rise up, he'll give you a mic. Ollie Barnes. Ollie Barnes. Ollie Barnes, yes. Thank that you. That was good, thank you. Hey, my name is Nate. Um, I've got a company, a small startup called Smalls Live, uh, and we are a physical venue in New York City that streams every show live out to the internet. We have about 20,000 people to tune in every night. And uh, one thing interesting we're doing is we're recording all the shows. We are putting them in an archive, and then we're charging kind of a Netflix-style 10 bucks a month, gives you access to the whole archive. And then what's really interesting is that we're splitting the revenue with the artists 50-50. So we're actually paying out the artists. We have a metric system where we're tracking how many minutes are all these videos being played online. And then we, we cut a check every quarter to the artists. Uh, so it's, and it's is that simple 50-50 on the gross? Or? Yeah, I mean, we deduct expenses first. So there's like cost for streaming and storage <laughs> okay. and bandwidth and all this stuff. But so they get what, a, okay, fine. Whatever's left. But we've, we've successfully paid out the artists probably a lot more than what they're getting from Spotify. Because uh, okay. this is exclusive content we only offer through our website, and there's a hand, there's maybe 400 artists who played in the club, mm -hmm. and, and they're all getting paid. You know, it's not enough to pay their rent check, but it, everything helps, groceries, whatever. Um, as, on the artist level, if I was going to give anybody advice of what to use as a bellwether, uh, I don't know how many of you are Humphreys McGee fans, but they do it better than any other band I've seen, except for maybe The Dead, in terms of serving their fans and monetizing their music. The disco biscuits. The what? disco biscuits do a great job too. And fish. Yeah. And fish and Dave Matthews. Yeah. No, I do, but Humphreys McGee is just it's it's watching them as a dream. Vincent, their manager, has just done some brilliant stuff. So I mean that's a good thing. And if the people like it, the only thing I would argue with you about I know I'm, I'm the immoderate moderator, and I apologize. Um because you're getting more than you're getting from Spotify, if I was getting I'm almost going the other direction, if I was getting 10 million plays on Spotify and I'm only getting 
a tenth of a penny versus I'm getting 10,000 plays with you and I'm getting 10 cents a play in terms of my reach, in terms of my ability to tour as an artist. Uh, I did a panel a couple of years ago at, at NAB where it was two rights holders and two services and the services said the rights holders were charging too much and the rights holders said they weren't getting paid enough and the tiebreaker was an artist on the panel. And I said to this guy, do you want to get paid or do you want to get played? He goes, I definitely want to get played. Before we were on streaming services, we couldn't leave the town we were from. Now we're touring all over the world. So you still have to remember that whether it's streaming or whatever, it is radio and it is exposure. So the rates can get better. The labels want them to be better. The publishers want them to be better. The artists want to make more money. But this is the best exposure medium we've ever had. The services want them to be better, too. Just everybody has a different definition of what better is. Agreed. Yeah, so I, I will say that we're using the stream kind of as a teaser to mm -hmm. get people to sign up for the archive. So okay. we're also streaming to Facebook every night. Mm -hmm. So people are watching the stream there, and then we're driving them over to our website to sign up for the, uh, the archive. And so are there any issues that you're having around it? Because I'm interested, is there anybody that's running into a roadblock that maybe Jeremy or Daryl or William or everybody on this end of it, I'll shut up for the rest of the panel, uh, can help you with? Well, I guess the rights holders have to get paid. Right, so but I mean, that. you're paying them, so you've made the deals with them, so that's good. Do you have a problem that maybe something we can fix? It's gonna. We have the villages here, and if I can't fix it, Cindy can. I don't have the problem yet, but it, it was something that uh, Jeremy mentioned before, and it's more like a future uh, uh, way to make money that I, I'm, I'm foreseeing that I'm not sure if it's a problem or not yet. But basically, I have a startup called Audio Drops. Um, I'm demoing in half an hour at the startup competition, and it's a location-based music discovery, kind of like Pokemon Go for music. And uh, Jeremy mentioned something about um, brand partnerships and how they're partnering with artists. And that's part of our monetization strategy is providing a solution for brands. Um, and I guess I'm curious if that's something that majors are now, do they have the connections to the brands already? Or is that something that we have to go out and make those, make those partnerships ourselves? I have to I mean, say, he, he can say what he wants to say. The person that he works with, Lori Feldman at Warner, at Warner is amazing at bands and brands. I mean, she you know, told me about Audra Day six months before I knew who Audra Day was. I mean, and tied into, I forget which brand they were tied in, she was tied into, but she's done an amazing job. The, the, the brands and, and what do they call the department? Uh, I think she's got global brand development. Or yeah, she's amazing in terms of brand partnerships and really doing things where it respects the integrity of the artist while marrying them to the right brand. You should meet Lori, you should connect with Lori Feldman. On that note, I broke my promise of shutting up. <laughs> Uh, it, it depends. So obviously we have departments at all of the labels um, who do and manage brand partnerships. But depending on the nature of your service, it would either tap in through that or the expectation would be that you would bring that to the table. I think it just depends on the nature and scope of the service. We have time for probably one or two more questions. Anybody or comments from anyone? Yes, sir, over here. And there is more tequila left at the end. <laughs> I Thank can't. You. I can't fly with it. I can't fly with this or my Note Seven. So, my name is Yanis. I'm from a company called Sonarworks. We are EU-based company, and uh, we have developed uh, solutions that you know when you go into studio and spend one month recording your art, you can actually never get your sound across to customers because headphones are distorted. Nico, take that delivers sound straight from the studio to consumer headphones, meaning that finally you can deliver authentic sound of artists to artist superfans. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's a new value for superfans, and that's new way how to make money for artists. But uh, to all artists I talk to, they warn big, big sign, check out all the right things, because uh, if you kind of charge for this superfans experience, you know, you have to be really well aware how to uh, work with rights afterwards, how to split this money that super funds pay to you. Thoughts, anybody? So, I'm sorry, are you doing the headphones or are you doing the mastering of the sound recordings? We are doing software and we are coming from a studio background. Actually, our studio software was used in uh, Olympic Games as a kind of sound system. And we can ensure that studio recorded sound is 
brought one-to-one -one exactly to consumer headphones. So super fans can experience music as intended by artists in studio. That's amazing. That's amazing. I would love to hear more about that. Um, that's my biggest complaint with technology right now, the audio quality. I mean, if you could do anything to help audio quality and, and how it's delivered to, the, you know, to us. I have one artist, he really believes that our nervous systems are negatively affected by the digital quality of sound. He spoke here about that a couple years ago. Um, yeah, we'd love to talk to you. Yeah, I was going to say Pono. I don't want to get a, we're, we're at the end of it, so I don't want to get into a Pono discussion. But yeah. Pono is amazing. I have one up in my room. I use it every day. I think it's great. The only thing I would and it sounds better. It, the the streaming rate's still not. It's it's still not. The yeah. But it does quality. sound better. You should look in. There's an initiative called MQA that you may want to yeah. look into. That okay. sounds thank you relative, relatively similar to what you're working on. You may find interesting. Okay. And Sirius, no, you're done. Sirius is doing that too. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, by the way, there's another thing. How many? I mean, I, I, who's stopping you? This is a first world problem, but I think I need to bring it up. So, if you've ever used GoGo in flight, on a flight, they basically have raised the price from twelve dollars to forty dollars, because they decided. That two things. One, the people that can pay $40 will pay $40. And if 30, 40 people on the plane are using it at 12 bucks, the service sucks. So for the people who really want to use it, they'll pay the premium price. I mean, so if you're a, literally a super fan of Wi-Fi on a plane, you're going to pay the 40 bucks to have Wi-Fi on the flight. And everybody else, they shouldn't be on there sending Instagram pictures anyway. So, so we you might think about services, how you service the super fan. If we price streaming services at a million dollars a month... Yes. And they only have a couple users. Okay, so final words. Start with Vincent. Final words, final piece of advice. Don't move. Wait, no, no, no. We gotta give, this is the big advice. You can't leave. Go ahead. She's leaving anyway. See, it's a typical publisher. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. I, th I think it's quite interesting on the, on the, on the spent. Uh, we, we closed the deal with Cobas, that's a high-resolution streamer in, in Europe. And what they've managed to do is they have a download platform and uh, a streaming platform. And they're... Uh, Hardcore uh, consumers spend $1,000 per month on, on music. So they, managed to, they have managed to keep this very core public from the old days that were going to the shops and spending a lot of money on music because of this high resolution and all of this optimization on the quality and the recommendation that you can get from the, from the you know, it's not about accessing the 50 million songs, it's about accessing the 15 tracks that will make the next hour of your life an amazing experience. So if you manage to get this value back to the, to the people, they will buy that in high resolution, put that in their uh, fantastic uh, uh, PA system, a stereo, and, and you will get some money back. So at 1,000 per month, if you convince the, these, these, these people on a global level, it's a lot of money coming back, flowing back in the industry. So I think all I of think these... I think Jeremy would do that yeah. deal. <laughs> okay. We got to keep... No, actually... No, actually, actually they, they, it's just high fidelity uh, uh, settings at home. You know, you yeah, have money, yeah. you like music, and you, have, you want to have the, the last, less, the best quality sure. possible, and you want, to, you want to own the, the files. And I'm saying if you optimize that and you make this user experience unique in terms of recommendation, types of music quality, in terms of, of PA, then you, you, you get really value out of the system. Yeah. Okay, William, you're up next. We've got to wind it up. She's going to give us the hook. Final well, words, okay. final I, I, advice, I, uh, final comment. I had an opportunity to interview uh, Pat Metheny for an article I wrote for The Atlantic called When Robots Write Music. And his thought was is that um, the speaker is the missing link. It's the, the technology is very impressive, but speakers, whether it's the piece of cardboard on a, on, on a speaker cabinet or something in your earbud, as you were saying, it's just an inadequate experience. And he toured actually with a very in, unusual instrument called the orchestrion, which is like a player piano, but it's a whole orchestra. And it go, dates back to the time of Beethoven. It was powered with a bellows. Um, and they pulled it out in between, um, in between uh, music. So um, it will be interesting to see if anyone picks that up in the technology field and tries to figure out a way to give an experience of listening to music, recorded music, that's similar to actually being in a room with inst musical instruments, which is the true experience versus what our ears right. have become accustomed to, which is a very kind of inferior um, 
experience? The closest thing I've seen is the Phantom from Davila, the Phantom speaker, which is amazing. We have to we're, we're, we have to wrap up. So I'm sorry. So Jacqueline, final comment. No, thank you. Thanks to Brian and Shoshana for having me. Thank you. No, any final thoughts though? No. No. Okay, Daryl. Uh, final thought. Maybe this panel should be called should have been called the Art of the Deal. Mm-hmm. Oh God, cute. <laughs> Jeremy, what's your what's your cell number? No, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Take. I, I guess I would just simply say we we want to be engaged. We want to help um, find ways to support and drive new opportunities and new engagement. Um, so there's uh, one of the biggest things that I, I hope I try to bring to the equation is to give people resources to engage the music industry because it is fragmented. So if I can help do that at every avenue and help people find advisors and find consultants and find lawyers and find people who are doing it successfully that complement what they're doing, I feel like I'm succeeding in my job. Okay, and I'm going to give up my final word to Jonathan Blofarp. Jonathan, you get the final word. Go. No, great. You got a mic. You're on here. Wow, Ted, you're really putting me on the spot here. Really? Um, where do you see it all? As yeah, you've been on all, Jonathan's a, a great attorney here in San Francisco. How Ted, do we make, how, what's your advice for making it simpler? Anything, or is it just going to be the way or are we still business as usual? You know, if we can all just keep listening to each other, I think that'll help. Thinking back on some of the early SF music texts where there was such a huge divide between the technology world and the content world, I think we have made great strides. Yeah, but there's a yeah. lot less fuck yous, no fuck you. Yeah, right. So it's maybe okay. a little. It's less strident, maybe a little days. less fun and exciting. It's not like uh, wrestling now, but I, I think we're making progress. Thanks very much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for coming.